You'd certainly think that an Emmy award-winning journalist, news anchor, would be able to teach you a thing or two about being in front of the camera. And that's certainly the case with my guest this week, Kerry Barrett. But beyond that, Kerry provides an amazing amount of insight and information and great tips around how you can use not just the camera to get across your message and to uh, be uh, the expert on camera, but also what do you do with that? How can you use it? How can you repurpose it? So many insights and tips that she provided. Uh, I think you're going to love this episode and I really encourage you to listen right through and, and get all the insights that Kerry provides. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Personally Brandtastic podcast, where we help you build your personal brand and business so that people can find you easily, want to work with you, and can't wait to refer you. My name is Paul Kopkin, and every day I work with real estate investors, professionals, and business owners who want to stand out from the crowd and attract more of the right opportunities without feeling inauthentic or spending all day doing it. It's all about communicating how personally brandtastic you are. Because marketing is how to get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. Now, back to the show. Kerry, thank you for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation because it's, it, I don't think I've ever had an Emmy Award winner on the show before, but there well, it is in the background. Let me Let's show it to you up close. Perfect. So for, the, for those you. listening, you're going to have to tune into the, the video to see that. So, But first of all, on camera, I, I think, I'm sure a lot of people listening and, and even myself, it's a fearful thing, isn't it? it? People kind of quake immediately as you kind of say, okay, we're going to turn the camera on. Mm-hmm. We, we almost change. So what are the first kind of things that you recommend to somebody when that fear overtakes them? Don't let it overtake you. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I, I, yeah, we're done. All right. Podcast episode's <laughs> over. No. I, I understand that fear 100%. I feel it in my bones. I'm shy, naturally. I am an introvert, naturally. And I had what I would describe almost as a debilitating fear of not just being seen or showing up on camera, but even just like speaking, period, even to a small group of people. And this goes way oh. back. I mean, it, it, it it supersedes anything I've done in my business or in my news career prior to owning my business. This was back to when I was a kid. And so I get the fear. What I can tell you is that if I can overcome it, anybody 100% can absolutely overcome it. It doesn't need to take you as long as it took me. <laughs> I, I promise you that as well. And you don't have to do it in front of an audience, your debut being live TV in front of millions of people, you know, trying not to make a complete fool of yourself and hoping that somebody pays you for that. Right. The, the really the thing is that we get so worked up and wound up about trying, and we hear this all the time, authenticity, we need to be ourselves, vulnerable, yada, yada. That means a different thing for everybody else. At the end of the day, what video is an opportunity to connect with someone that you don't have a chance to connect with, maybe in person, and you are replicating, for the most part, a little bit of spit and polish, the way that you'd communicate with somebody who's standing right in front of you and you're having a conversation. But we get in our heads about, I'm speaking to like this little black hole and there's nobody actually really there. And I don't know how to connect with the person on the other side. You are literally, that lens is your audience's eye. The microphone is your audience's ear and you are having 
a one-way sort of conversation where you're trying to replicate an in-person, you know, two or three-way conversation. But we get all in our heads about it. We shrink, we reduce our vocal variety. And there are some reasons I can go into that psychologically if you're curious. Yeah. Yeah, it, absolutely. It is, it is all about just replicating natural conversation. So, so to go into why we do that, why we suddenly sit stock still and we don't blink and we get small, it really goes back to what people call our caveman brain or our lizard brain. And it goes back to our fear of a, a painful, untimely death is really what it okay. comes down to. And it, it, if you think about or try and imagine what it might be like to live back in the, you know, caveman days, if you will, we protected ourselves by living in groups. So being ostracized from the, the group or the pack, if you will, being kicked out of the cave was you know, reduced status probably a likelihood of death and rejection. Now we understand why we want to be part of the pack. It's protective. When you are in front of a camera or the same fear and psychological concept applies if you're you know, speaking on a stage publicly in person, when you are out on that horizon, if you will, think again about the caveman days, making big movements and loud noises and drawing attention to you. You drew the predators your way. When you got on that horizon and you were by yourself and your pack was watching what you were doing, you shrunk because you don't want to draw anybody's attention to you. We see the audience in the same way. The audience, we're on the horizon. We're away from the pack. They're all judging us, getting ready to reject us, ostracize us, and maybe kill us. And we see the audience as a predator. So that caveman brain takes over and we shrink. We get still. Our vocal variety reduces. Our range reduces. We get quiet because we are going into protective mode. And that psychologically is where that all comes from, right? It so, again goes back to the feeling rather than understanding. The audience is not a saber-toothed tiger getting ready to jump out and attack my jugular. In fact, most of them are probably rooting for me because they want to learn something from this as well. And so recognizing that and giving yourself a little bit of agency, you know, looking at your shoulder and saying, okay, I see you there, anxiety, caveman brain, whatever it is that you want to call it. I'm not going to let you make the decisions for me today. I'm going to push through and it will feel weird and it will feel awkward and scary as heck, but I will push through and not allow you to change the way that I present or show up. That's really the first step. And then it's understanding how you present and show up so that you can communicate effectively. And you are in this era of massive amounts of digital noise, able to capture somebody's attention and keep them there through to the end. Right. I saw a video on your, I think it was on your Instagram, where you were doing an exercise to warm yourself up prior to going on. <laughs> and what are the kind of things that you recommend people do to kind of psych themselves up? Because, you know, immediately we're shrinking. So what are the things that you recommend people do? Well, when I first, now I can just sit down in front of the camera and turn right. it on a riff. I don't have to do any of this stuff. But there's not one size fits all sort of 
thing that works for everybody. A few of the things you can try are <clears throat> turning on whatever your favorite song is loudly and dancing like nobody's watching because nobody is at that stage. So go for yeah. it. It's singing at the top of your voice. A lot of people like to have a really cold, maybe even frozen bottle of water sort of just outside of frame so that if they do get uncomfortable, some people get red, they start to sweat. Thankfully, you can't see that for the most part on camera, but they'll grab the bottle of water, singing, dancing and moving, and then taking that exact same energy, plopping down in front of the camera and trying to basically jump through the lens with that same sort of energy is one of the greatest ways to sort of keep that flow going. Oddly enough, when we tense our abdominal muscles, there is a chemical that releases. It's similar to serotonin that has a calming effect. So, you know, some people like to go around and run a couple of laps or walk around the house or walk around the office, doing a couple of wall crunches. I don't suggest you get down on the floor and do them there, but doing a couple of wall crunches just to sort of tighten and release those abdominals also has a calming effect. Hmm. That's an interesting tip. I've never yeah. heard that one before. I typically go for the favorite song loud in my head. There you go. And like wander it. around. So yeah. <laughs> one of the one really good ones, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You remember that one by Chumba? Was it Chumba Wumba? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. It's got a great beat and it reminds you that if you do get knocked down, you get right back up. Yeah, mine's a punk song, actually. It's Prodigy Firestar. It's really loud and kind I of- I like it. It's very high energy. <laughs> what, what about scripting? How much should somebody think about what they're going to say? Well, they're hopefully they're thinking about what they're going to say, but how much of it should be pre, pre-scripted? How much of it should be off the cuff? Because you said riffing. Yeah. Well, so the interesting thing is, again, anybody who tells you there's a one size fits all, this is exactly what you need to do. They're not telling you the truth because it does always depend. And it depends on a couple of things. Number one, it depends on where this particular video is going to appear, meaning like what platform format is it live or is it recorded? And what is the time frame? Meaning how long is it? Is this an hour long video or is 13 seconds because you're posting it on YouTube shorts. If it is a shorter video, I'd like to be very specific because right now, as of this recording, really short Instagram reels, for example, are what's blowing up and they're always underneath 12 seconds. Sometimes they're as short as six or eight seconds. And so if you're going to say something, you don't have a lot to memorize, but you have got to stay on point. Otherwise you're going to miss your window. So for something like that, I know exactly what I'm going to say and I, and I spit it out. For a longer format video, right? For example, this podcast, there's audio and there's also video. So if you're listening, recognize there's a video component as well. You're asking me questions and I'm answering pretty much spur of the moment. That's fine too. When you are getting ready to do a full presentation, that I structure quite differently. So for example, if I'm doing a hybrid event or a virtual event and I'm going to be delivering, let's say a keynote or some sort of specific corporate training, but I'm going to be doing it through a lens, that's an entirely different process. For something like that, and again, spend a little bit on the topic, I might manuscript the entire thing. If it's a keynote, I will manuscript 
the meaning I'll write it out word for word. When I do that, it allows me to organize my thoughts in a much more clear way. I can see what thought flows to what thought clearly, sentence to sentence, paragraph to paragraph, you know, block by block. And then I'll take that manuscript and I'll put it into a keyword outline with specific facts that I know I need. If there's a specific number or a story I want to share to highlight a particular element, I'll put that into the outline. Where I don't like to script, even for longer format, is when I'm doing a vlog. So for example, I do a lot of tutorials and tips on my YouTube channel. And those, I will just start with an outline. And the reason I do it that way is because if I'm reading a script, I can read a script and sound pretty conversational because I've done it for, for so long, hearkening back to my news days. For most yeah. people, that's really challenging. And so just knowing what those main points are and then being able to riff on them, knowing that you have the ability to go into post-production and edit and pull out the chunks that you don't like or the retakes that you need to do. So in those particular cases, I don't script full on. If you are going to use a script, have a teleprompter in front of you. There's tons to choose from, whether it's an actual physical prompter that attaches to your computer or it's a software-based prompter. And then you can actually have your manuscript if you want to, or you can have your keyword outline coming up right in front of the camera lens and you can deliver looking right at the audience without them knowing any different. And, and talking about the camera lens. Yeah. yeah. We've all seen it. So many people, I saw a video just the other day and the person thought they were talking to the camera Yeah, and they were over here yeah, you know, looking at completely away. So what are the things that you recommend around making sure that you're making eye contact? Because the hardest thing I find as well, and maybe it's a kind of two-part question, I love speaking live. Mm -hmm. If there's an audience, I can, you know, get energy from the room. I can tell if it's resonating. The hardest thing I find every time is staring at that little black hole and then, and trying to get some kind of feedback. So maybe two things is how do you first of all, focus on the camera? And then the second is, and, and are there any tips around settings yeah. and things like that? I love that you asked this question as we, as I sort of alluded to, I spent 20 years in the news business prior to starting my own business. And when I was in the news business, I was on air. I was an anchor. And so I got very used to delivering to camera. The difference is when you are on a news desk in a studio, there are other people around you. Even if you, even if the viewer is watching you at home and they just happen to see your face on that particular story, there's a desk full of your co-anchors, your weather people, your traffic people, your sports people. There's people on the floor that are directing the cameras. There's a producer in the production booth that's talking to you in your ear. So you have energy, even if the audience can't see it, that you are drawing from. And you can sort of play with that energy and it boosts you. And then you can you sort of take that and deliver it to the audience. When I gave my first webinar after I started my business, oh my <laughs> God. I mean, I was 10 minutes in and I, my lips were going numb and I was like, this is terrible. Like, I'm used to delivering to a camera and I'm getting in my head about it because you're right. Exactly what you said. You can't see the audience for all you know, they're not paying you or they're on the other side or they're not paying attention to you or they're on the other side of the lens. Like they could be giving you the finger for all you know. And so it's really easy to get in your head about it. 
So I, when I talk to people about delivering to the camera, you cannot assume that if you're good on a stage, you're going to have the same effect when you're delivering to a lens for those reasons precisely. Part of it, and one of the reasons that I was able to muscle through is because I have the skill set to know how to deliver even if I'm not getting anything from the audience. I can fall back on the way that I know I can keep my energy up and I can fall back on my ability to stay out of my head, which I had to learn how to do when I was live on the news because I was delivering information. And so I can fall back on those skills. If you are not media savvy, and frankly, most of us are not, remember that your audience is just as confused about how all of this works as you are. And so no matter who you're delivering to, no matter what the size of the audience, you could be on a virtual event and there could be a million people watching you. Remember, it is always an audience of one. And that person's eye is the camera lens and their ear is the microphone. And all you are doing is replicating the natural way that you converse. So if you are delivering to a lens, you don't have to get into a stare down with the person on the other side. It's okay to break gaze occasionally, I'd say three seconds. And if you're gathering your thoughts or you're looking at something in the background, those are natural idiosyncrasies of common in-person communication. And it's perfectly fine to replicate them when you're on camera. What you don't want to do is what you described, where somebody is looking clearly at a monitor somewhere else because they're having a conversation with the host or whomever it is, and they're not recognizing that content is actually being created for an audience who is going to be viewing it through a lens at a later date. So if you and I are having a conversation and I'm looking down at you on the monitor versus looking in the camera, I'm having a conversation with you and I'm ignoring the people who are the audience who was watching it on the lens. And so one way to get comfortable and practice that is, there's a couple of ways. If somebody's really new, I advise like, putting an arrow by the camera and saying, look here and making sure it's the right camera and and yellow or whatever it is, two big googly eyes. So you're replicating looking into somebody else's eye. Put those next to your camera and practice delivering that way. The camera should be at eye level or just very slightly above because it's more flattering, but it shouldn't be below to the side, any of that other stuff. It should be at eye level or just very slightly above. If you are really new and it's very hard because you're getting distracted by your face on the monitor below or you're doing a live stream and you're trying to look at whomever is there, one of the easiest ways to practice is to take your phone and instead of recording on the back-facing camera, which is the one that's positioned above the screen, where you can see yourself and you know your apps or whatever is there, flip your camera around and practice recording into the front face camera, which is the one that, you know, as a, the user would appear to be the back the one that's facing away from you as you're, you know, on your phone or texting or whatever. That way you cannot get distracted and you get used to looking in the lens and delivering that way. 
30 seconds a day, practice riffing into the back camera and see if you can't get yourself a little more comfortable with it. That's a priceless tip. Oh. Because I think that's, I've never heard that before because you're right, because you're kind of sitting there with that. Yeah. But then kind of, you're not sure because you're looking at your own face all the time you're, and you're trying yeah. to position it. Yeah. And when you're looking at exactly where it should be, which those things are important to know how you're framed up. Right. But if you are sitting in front of your computer and you're delivering that way, you don't need to really worry about how you're framed up. You have that all set already. You know, you've set it up and now you need to just be focusing on looking into the camera. And if you are doing something that's live and there is a little bit of interplay with, for example, a host, in this case, you. One of the challenges is the next question I always get, and I apologize if I'm jumping ahead of you. <laughs> one of the next one of the questions I always get is, how do I pick up on all of those nonverbals? Because that's why we want to look into the monitor. I want to see, you know, is Paul frowning? Is he smiling? Is he trying to tell me to wrap it up? I'm compelled yeah. to look at you. Yeah, and so, yeah, <laughs> shut up, carry enough. So... One of the, again, there's not a perfect, there's not a perfect way to handle this. You're just trying to mitigate some of the challenges. Think about it this way. When you are speaking, you're speaking to an audience, you are looking into the lens. When your host or the person who is perhaps asking the questions is speaking, that's when you can look down in the monitor and try and recoup some of those lost nonverbals. It's perfectly fine when the person who is asking the questions is speaking for you to be looking down and trying to see, like, again, in this case, is Paul frowning? Is he smiling? Is he looking down at his notes? Is he, you know, giving me the rap sign? Whatever it is. But when I'm speaking, I'm always looking into the lens. Right. So that's interesting. I'm going to encourage people to check out the video because... My impression is that you're looking at me all the time. Yeah. But actually, my picture's down below you. Yeah, I can't see you unless, I, unless I look down at you like this. But I, I, would not have, I would not have noticed that. Yeah. That's well, it's I'm... funny. It, it, I was watching a podcast. You mentioned you saw the video the other day. I was watching a video podcast that popped up on LinkedIn. And the woman, the guest, was somebody that I happen to know um, fairly well. I've had her, in fact, on one of my shows. And I gave her a little bit of, coaching prior, look into the lens. This is how you need to address the audience who will be watching this afterward. And she forgot it because when I was watching her podcast, I saw her doing the same thing you described, looking off into the left. She's looking at the host and I'm, she's having a conversation with the host, forgetting that when that podcast was published or is published, the actual audience is going to be watching her through the screens on their computers or phones. And she needs to be talking to them, those are the people that she's trying to bring into her network or to create awareness and trust and build rapport with, not the host. She already has that with the host. So if you're looking at the host, you're forgetting your prime audience. It's like delivering on a stage and not looking at the audience in front of you, instead putting your back to them and looking just at the slides you have up on the screen behind you. What, what are a couple of the other kind of common mistakes for want of a better description that you see people make? Energy. We talked a little bit at the beginning of the show about that caveman brain and that lizard brain that goes into, you know, 
high drive, fight or flight sort of response anytime we get up on a stage or in front of a camera. And aside from reducing vocal variety, additional effect of that is it reduces our energy. So energy is not necessarily, you know, wild gesticulating, you know, cheesy used car salesman energy on camera. Yes, it is delivering with energy, but it's also about using facial expressions and being able to use vocal variety to infuse your delivery with energy and using hand gestures and nonverbals. And so when somebody gets in front of the camera, aside from just the psychological issues that many of us face, you're also dealing with physical and technological challenges as well. So you're dealing with, you know, compressed audio. You are dealing with the degeneration of the quality of a video as it goes from your computer through the internet lines and pops out on the other side to make it very simple. And so all of those elements create basically that energy deficient sort of delivery that we see aside from you're taking video takes a 3d person and puts them into this 2d sort of format with a lack of context anything beyond this little rectangle that somebody may be watching you in and so i advise people to think about delivering to a camera in this sort of way if you're sitting at a noisy restaurant, let's say, and you are at a long rectangular table with, I don't know, eight other people, and you're trying to talk to somebody who is four people down from you, and you're talking through other people, and you're trying to rise above all of the noise and the chaos that's going around you, how would you deliver so that they can understand what you're saying? You'd probably do a couple of things. You'd project your voice a little bit more, louder, I try and deepen it a little bit because it's usually easier to hear a deeper voice than it is a a shrill one, which we do when we get nervous. You would probably lean in to signal non-verbally that this is important or this is the, you know, key point of this particular conversation. Your facial expressions would be amplified. Your hand gestures would be amplified. You know, if you're telling them three things, you might show up, you might show three fingers and count them down as you go through the list. Those sorts of things. That's what you want to replicate when you are on camera. And for most of us, it's about a 25% increase in energy. I I always ask clients when I'm first starting with them or when I'm doing, for example, a corporate training and we're talking about this, I ask them to pick something. And here's a little tip for practice. Something that is generic that you don't really have any emotional attachment to. So I'm showing, holding up on camera for those who are listening. The camera cover for my my camcorder. I don't really have an emotional attachment to this, but I would riff or advise my clients or in group setting, take this particular thing, eraser, paperclip, pen, whatever it is, whatever you have in front of you and gush about it. 30 seconds like, oh, my God. <laughs> Eraser is life changing. It's going to I mean, I can't even imagine that the ease with which my writing will, you know, whatever it is that you say, it doesn't even have to make any sense. And then go back and watch it and see if you delivered with the energy that you thought you did. Nine times out of 10, even if you were going what felt like over the top, it's not going to come across that way. I have never told anybody. That's not true. 
there's maybe two people in the hundreds of people I've coached or spoken with who have, in fact, gone over the top and needed to dial it down. Everybody else still needed to kick it up. Another great tip. I love that. You mentioned three things. So I know that you have a program or your program is a three-step process. Is that right? The MVP? Yes, so and the- it is. MVP or VIQ. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut right. you off there. MVP stands for, it's a trademarked framework. MVP stands for Mindset, Vocal Variety, and Physical Performance. And VIQ stands for Video IQ. That spotlight program is really all about delivering to the camera in whatever format you may need to use it, whether it is because the standards for delivering on camera are the same, regardless of whether it's an Instagram reel or it is a virtual presentation to a a corporate audience. The standards of delivery are absolutely the same. That is really the spotlight program. And that MVP or VIQ is within a larger program I call the VIQ Academy. And we really dive into all of setting up your shot, understanding your audience, figuring out what your content topics or pillars are, learning how to use video, how to shoot, how to edit, and how to distribute. And that is called, like I said, the VIQ Academy. And and do you help people... Because we all have tells or we all have. So, so I say so a lot. And I know <laughs> I only notice it when I start looking at rec- either recordings or transcripts. Sure. And I think, oh, no, I said that 17 times in three, <laughs> in three minutes. Uh, do you help people kind of identify that kind of thing? And, and how much do you advise people to try and take those away from what they're sure. doing? I do advise on that. And there's a couple of different ways. And it depends on the level of support that you opt into. In the program itself, there are video assignments where I will ask you at the end of a module to record a video and it will send it into the platform and it will grade you, if you will, on things like filler words, tone, energy, et cetera. And then it will give you a hard data point. Here's how many times you said this. Here's your score. Here's how to improve. And then you can go and do that particular exercise or assignment over and over again until you get to the point where you like the data point that it spit out to you and you feel comfortable. If you are practicing with me in a group or one-on-one coaching session, we'll take the elements that you learned in the training and then we'll apply them to practice sessions. So whether you're there for your virtual office hours and you want to go through a particular sticking point or you want to practice and do feedback and and rehearsal, and maybe there's a specific event that you need to get ready for, really structure those sessions so that they are exactly what you need when you need it in that moment. If we're just doing a, I'm, I'm doing your program and now I want to get a little support and I'll share one of the tips that I use. When you feel the urge to say, or, and the key is, Paul, and you said it, it's going back and watching, which is excruciating for most of us. And it still is for me to this day. I hate doing it, but you have to. When you notice that is one of your quirks or idiosyncrasies and you're aware of it, that's when you can actually start making some changes. So as you become aware of that word wanting to come out of your mouth, let's say it's okay in your case, almost swallowing it. But instead of just swallowing it back and muscling through, create a physical 
sensation in your body when that word wants to come out. And for some people, it's I'm going to look away from the camera. I'm going to adjust my position and then I'm going to look back. For others, they like to tap their leg three times when they feel that desire to spit out that filler word or sound. And they've created a, a, a physical awareness in their body when they feel that urge. And that allows you to make a connection. And so you can begin to realize it's more so when I'm in this format that I tend to use more filler words. And the brain makes, you know, those synapses grow and you just become more aware of it and you become able to sort of swallow it back. I'm not perfect at it. And I want to be clear, saying or awe a couple of times during a video presentation is not a deal breaker, 100%. Agreed. And, and some women will say that, I just did it myself, <laughs> that when they are speaking in person or they're speaking live and they need to gather their thoughts, they use those filler words as a way to prevent themselves from being interrupted by somebody sitting at the table who may want to jump in and try and use their words or fill the, the space. The great thing about video is that there's not an audience that can interrupt you. We don't have to worry about that. And because there is no context and all of those other challenges that we spoke about, you do want to keep those filler words to a minimum. So recognizing when they happen and realizing, especially as women, and I say that not to paint everybody with a broad brush, but we do tend to get perhaps interrupted a little more often. I, I totally agree. Yeah. We've developed those coping mechanisms, if you will, in order to prevent that. On video, you don't have to worry about that. So just become aware and then you can dial it. I think there is one filler word, though, that should be abolished, and that What's is that? like. I knew you were going to say Can you please tell that to my 12-year-old daughter? Say the same to, to my kids, too. So. I am with you on that 100%. It sounds a little more juvenile, perhaps, than some of the other yeah. filler words that have, in our minds anyway, a purpose. <laughs> I just want to circle back to you mentioned about reels, and you talked about 6 to 12 seconds, which to me, says that's always like taking a breath and, yeah. and it's gone. What are the kind of things that people would say in that six to 12 seconds? And what, what can you do to make it like an impactful 12 seconds that I'm going to go watch the next video and the next video and the next video, which is what we're trying to get people to do? Absolutely. Makes such a good point. Those sort of short form videos are fantastic for awareness and discoverability. They're pop of funnel content really at their core. You can certainly use short form videos to nurture and convert, but their primary goal is discoverability and awareness. It's why YouTube introduced YouTube shorts because that's how people find accounts or content that they're interested in. Then they subscribe and they move on to the longer format videos, which are really the the, the content that sort of drives trust and conversion, especially for higher ticket offers. Yep. When you're creating short form content, there's a couple of things to consider. And as of this recording, the things that are blowing up on Instagram and TikTok are those super short form videos. 
But you may remember when Reels first started and when TikTok first started, it was about 30 seconds. So it's constantly evolving. Right now, one of the easiest ways, well, a few easy ways to really make sure that you're taking advantage of and you're saying something impactful in that, let's say, six to 12 seconds is that there should be no downtime between somebody clicking on your video or scrolling through it and stopping and the time that they hear your voice. Meaning, do not edit where there's even half a frame of silence before they start to hear you. When I edit a, a reel or a short, I my mouth is open when that video starts and probably the first millisecond of sound has already passed because you want to catch them right out of the gate. And then you want to give them a juicy hook, if you will. And so in the case of a reel, it might be something along the lines of, we do have a negativity bias. So we are more likely to stop on content that tells us to avoid doing something than what we should be doing. So for example, I might start an Instagram reel with, if you're doing this, stop. And then I might add a text bubble that says, let's pick something that we've talked about today, using filler words. Or that's not a great one. I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. (laughs) It'll come to me. So I may say, if you're doing this, stop. And then I'll put a text bubble with whatever that thing is. And then another text bubble that says details in the caption. And then you play that video on so that it, it constantly loops because right now that's what Instagram is counting. Like watch time, how long are we watching and how many views of this video do we have? And if you have a six second video that plays over and over again while you're reading the caption, that shows maybe you might get 20 views of that video just mm. from one person reading the caption. And then in the caption comes the details of how in fact you stop using filler words or how, in fact, you get used to looking at the lens when you're talking. So that six seconds is really about creating an immediate impact and value. It's that dopamine hit. What am I doing that is totally screwing me up? She said, I need to stop doing this. Oh, she's going to tell me how in the captions. Okay, I'm going to let the video play while I read the captions and learn how to do this particular thing. And that's how you create impact in a six second video. Hmm. Okay, I'm just thinking of the, the people listening. So it could be something, something like before you, you never do this the next time you sign a mortgage or. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're a real estate investor, this is your biggest mistake, right? Right. Whatever the case may be. And then looking down in the caption for whatever that big mistake is and how to avoid it. Or even if you're a real estate investor, stop doing this. And you may tell them what that thing is to stop doing. And it may be something that is a a significant detour from standard industry advice. It may be something that is a very strong point of view. And if you're telling somebody in six seconds that something that they've always been told to do is crushing them, they're going to stop and watch or read whatever comes next. And by the way, these sorts of videos are also picking up traction on LinkedIn. Usually... In fact, in the past, LinkedIn has always been horizontal video, longer yep. thought leadership pieces. And these short form vertical videos are picking up on LinkedIn for the same reasons that they're picking up on the other platforms. The great thing about LinkedIn is that you also have a much larger organic reach. 
And because not a ton of people are doing vertical video yet, visually they're different. And so they get people's attention. Another great tip. You're full of great tips today, isn't this? <laughs> Thank you. My that's pleasure. A, that's excellent. So before we uh, tell people where they can find out more from you, uh, a couple of questions I like to ask guests. Um, favorite personal brand? Who do you like and why? I love Jenna. I, well, I love Amy Porterfield, which if you're not familiar with her, she is sort of a guru, although I hate that word. Let's say legend in the online course creation business. She, she was on one of your very early podcasts. She was, wasn't she? Yeah, right. she was. And yeah, I good. absolutely love her. She's created a program, digital program called Digital Course Academy. In fact, and she just wrote a book that came out a month or two ago called Two Weeks Notice, which is about how to quit your corp or how to consider quitting your corporate job, let's say, and oh, move into the life of an entrepreneur. I love that. that I love that book yeah. title. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I love the book title. That's such notice. a great title. Fantastic. Yeah. And that's what she did. She used to work for Tony Robbins and she left her corporate life and started a life of an entrepreneur and she became known for her digital courses. And then she moved into, well, I'm going to teach people how to create and launch their own digital course. And so I love, I absolutely love her personal brand, you know, exact. And the reason I love it is because not only is she warm and inviting and she offers lots of great information, you know, it's, when you hear the name, if you're in that space at all, if you hear the name Amy Porterfield or Digital Course Academy, you know exactly who they're talking to, who, and who they're talking about and what the offer and the transformation is. Like, there's just no getting around it. And she's a legend in that space. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. And it, as I say, I saw it on your podcast. I thought, wow, she's got Amy Porterfield on her podcast. That's pretty, pretty impressive. What about a favorite business book or podcast? I like Gold Diggers, not Gold Diggers, but Gold Diggers, G-O-A-L, uh, by one of Amy's good friends, Jenna Kutcher who is also in the online space. She talks a lot about growing your email list. That's one of her, she's got email launch lab, which is one of her programs. But I, her podcast is more about, it's really focused on women. And it is all about that entrepreneurial journey, which trust me, I needed a lot of help with. And I still do. I really enjoy her podcast. In terms of books that I'm reading and that I have really enjoyed. Oh my gosh, I almost don't know where to begin. One of the ones that I really, oh my gosh, this is, you know what? You gave me these questions in advance and I should have actually narrowed it down to one book. I'm looking at this stack that's next to me here, on my, here in my office, in my sunroom, I should say. I like the one thing. I know it's sort of standard. I also like Gary Vee's hook. Yeah. Jab, yeah. jab, right hook. Jab, jab, right hook. Yeah, which is all about giving, giving, and then making the ask. And I don't always love all of Gary Vee's advice, but yeah. that particular one helped me frame, especially when I first started, how I was going to position myself with giving value and establishing credibility in a different, in a different space from the news industry where people didn't know who I was outside of that anyway, certainly. And how I hear a lot about don't give all of the information away for, for free. I don't really abide by that so much. People can get information pretty much anywhere they want. I, I like to give tips and tactics for free. And then people come to me to help 
guide them with the parts that they're having trouble with, right. you know, the sticking points. And so I like what he talks about. You got to give, and then you can make the ask. Great recommendations. And what about a new tool or resource that you're enjoying oh. using? Well, I know everybody's going to say chat GP. <laughs> and I told you I wasn't going to say that, but I did. Something that I really do actually quite like is it is AI, but I'm using it to repurpose content in a way that I was not able to before. So I will say chat GPT, but I'll give you an example of what I mean specifically because it's, boy, is it a great way to repurpose stuff that you've made. So one of the types of content that's performing very well on LinkedIn right now is carousels. And you see them on Instagram as well, but they're slightly different in terms of the aesthetic and usually a little bit about what they are talking about. So what I like to do is I'll take a video that I've created for whether it's YouTube or TikTok or Instagram, and I will transcribe it using otter.ai. And I use that for all of my meetings, but it's great at transcribing recorded video as well. I will take the transcription. I will load the transcription into ChatGPT. And then I will tell ChatGPT to act as a social media manager, because the value's in the prompts here. Act mm -hmm. as a social media manager. Don't change the language, but turn this Instagram video transcription into a Twitter thread. And then, which they're huge on Twitter right now. So then I've got a Twitter thread based on the video. And then I will take that, those threads, and I will plop them into another AI platform called SuperGrow AI, which is a platform, an AI platform designed specifically for LinkedIn. And I will tell SuperGrow to take that Twitter thread and turn it into a LinkedIn carousel. You can upload your fonts and your colors and your aesthetic mm -hmm. on SuperGrow, and it will create uh, a LinkedIn carousel that you can then literally just upload directly from the platform into LinkedIn. And now you've taken one video and you've created three or more pieces of content that you can repurpose in a way that's appropriate for all of those different platforms. I am just going to say to everybody listening, rewind back to that point where I asked that question and make notes because that is one of the best descriptions I've heard about repurposing content and leveraging AI at the same time. That's brilliant. Uh, excellent. Thank you. And what about a favorite quote that inspires or motivates you? There's two quotes that I have, and I've been trying to, I've been waffling back and forth between the two. One is your message. And I can dive into that a little bit. And the other one is do it scared, both of which I have had to do and both of which I have had to embrace going way back into my news career. Do it scared. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I was not just terrified, but terrible. And I made my <laughs> video debut on live TV with the roof over my head and the food in my stomach depending on me being able to do a good job. And let me tell you, I was not good. So doing it scared, the same applies for content when it comes to your business and your message. We hear a lot about authenticity and not being afraid to share mistakes. 
what I really mean about Mess's message is not diving into all of the really awful mistakes that you've made or the things that are necessarily embarrassing. But when I go back and I look at all of the dots and where I started, you know, again, I could go take this back to seventh grade if you want to. <laughs> and and how they would somebody have said in seventh grade, yes, Carrie, you are going to fail out of your veterinary medicine academic career and not know what to do with yourself and then enroll in a communications program, which you're terrified of. And then I would have told you're crazy. And then if you told me I was going to take that communications program and go get a master's degree in it because I was going to fall in love with the news business, I would have told you're crazy. And then if you told me I was going to start in the news business and something that's wildly competitive and end up at a network news uh, flagship in New York City and win an Emmy, I would have told you I was crazy. And then if I would have told you I was going to drop out of that business and industry and start my own business without knowing anything, I would have told you were crazy. All of those things, they all came together to create who I am and what I do today. But they're all messy and they, do, but they don't on paper make any sort of sense. But that is my message. I was scared. I was where you were. And I grew my business, I, my personal brand in the news industry and my business based on this one thing that had been, I don't even know how to, I can't overstate the challenge that showing up has always been for me. And so all of those messy things helped me serve the person that I once was in terms of my clients. Wonderful. I, thank you, Carrie, for sharing. That was just fantastic. Uh, so how can people find you? What, what's the best place? Where do you want to point people? Well, I, I, I was telling you earlier, I had to shut down my YouTube and I, I, I shut down my YouTube, old YouTube and Instagram accounts. And there's so much great daily content on both of those platforms, tips, tricks, tutorials, motivation, inspiration. Please reach out to me. Both of them are at I am Carrie Barrett. And on both of those platforms, you can find links to my other social media platforms, my website, my programs, my free resources, everything you need to know about me, you will find on both of them. So YouTube and Instagram is where I am the most. Okay. We'll make sure that is in the show notes as well. And Carrie, th thank you for today. Fantastic insights, tips, tricks. Um, hopefully people listening to this will now go pick up their phones and start wandering around talking to themselves and practicing and uh, looking at that little black box and not being as fearful. So thank you and, and have yourself a brandtastic day. Oh, likewise, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. I certainly appreciate it. Well, was that brandtastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business? So get to it. Thank you for listening and have a brandtastic day.